You're listening to the official Dietitian Connection podcast. This podcast gives you access to the most successful and influential experts in the dietetic profession. This podcast will inspire you, it will challenge you, and it will empower you to become a nutrition leader and realize your dreams. Welcome to today's Dietitian Connection podcast. My name is Marie Ferguson and I'm the founder and director of Dietitian Connection. And it's my pleasure today to have Kate Save, who is the director of Peninsula Physical Health and Nutrition and also the founder and CEO of Be Fit Food with us today. I'm really looking forward to talking to you, Kate. Thanks for having me, Maureen. It's a pleasure to be on Dietitian Connection. So take us back to the beginning and why you chose to be a dietitian. Oh, I chose to be a dietitian because a lot of my life was spent focusing on food. I was very unwell um, for about 18, 19 years, hospitalized in and out for about eight years. They couldn't find what was wrong with me. And 20 years later, they found what they thought was a tumor in my bile duct. But the technology up until that point hadn't been good enough on the ultrasounds to identify this until MRI became available and always been told that I had um, food intolerances, that I was lactose intolerant, and my tummy pains that I was getting was a result of diet, and I really didn't believe that that was necessarily the case because it would randomly appear, and it certainly didn't um, appear to be linked to lactose specifically. Wow, that's quite a journey. I'm glad you finally Mm. figured out what was going on. Yeah, well, in the end, there was lactose intolerance, but the pain had nothing to do with that. So, um, yeah, it was emergency surgery, a five-hour procedure, and quite life-threatening, but I survived. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's um, certainly part of the reason why I studied nutrition, because I really wanted to to know more. Well, and what a great outcome that now you are a dietitian and can, you know, work and be able to help lots of different people that I'm sure have... um, suffered like yourself over time yeah and I guess I always say to people that if something's not right with your body you're the only person who knows that so keep pursuing it it's, yeah you know it's, it's your body it's your pain it's your life and if it's affecting your performance the way you feel then you really need to get to the bottom of it that's right you have to get that second and third opinion don't you yeah that's right and technology does change and that was a big learning curve too that um they stopped doing testing for many years because the technology, you know, 35 years ago wasn't really that good. And as technology advanced, they were able to get clearer pictures. So, mm. Hmm. And so once you graduated as a dietitian, what did you do in the first instance? I worked in corporate health for a little while, for a few years. I also worked as a uh, teacher in nutrition for various institutes, Chisholm Tafe, Fit Nation, uh, a few other health places. I then was engaged with Deakin University and I put together a nutrition bridging course for students wanting to learn more about anatomy, physiology, biochemistry and chemistry. So they now use that course uh, for students coming out of, say, business courses and unrelated courses as a bridging way to get into nutrition and undergraduate courses. So that took up some time. And I uh, founded Peninsula Physical Health and Nutrition a few, maybe four or five years later. And um, I started with a, a gym facility and I'm an exercise physiologist, diabetes educator and dietitian. So 
I really wanted to combine all the different services and built up a team. So I think we got to 23 people after about four or five years and uh, we ended up with three private hospitals that we were referring out to and um, or seeing patients in and 11 private clinics. So Peninsula Physical Health and Nutrition expanded um, across the Mornington Peninsula and at times we did look at going beyond, but we really pulled it back just to the peninsula because I guess that's where our network is and, yeah, the loyalty from the local GPs. Mm. I love it that you've had such a varied background. I think that's one of the benefits of being a dietitian is you can work in so many different areas. Yeah, and it's nice working with other health professionals and really seeking opinions when it's outside of your scope on our team. We had physios, we had osteos, we had... Um, acupuncturists, we had Pilates instructors, personal trainers, uh, podiatrists, uh, psychologists. So we, we worked with um, quite a, you know, a really um, varied team of health professionals. And I think that having that day-to-day communication with other people that are on the same wavelength was um, really enjoyable as a career. Mm. And so how did you, and I know you still work at Peninsula Physical Health and Nutrition, but how did B-Fit Food come about? Uh, so myself and Jeffrey Draper have worked together for about a decade and he's a bariatric surgeon and my clinic and dietitian team have been servicing his clinic over that period and it was really maybe six or seven years ago that Jeff and I both had that um, realisation that people shouldn't be turning to, um, you know, bars, shakes and synthetic diets as first-line therapy for weight loss, particularly going into bariatric surgery when the most important foundation for them is to learn how to eat well. And the the time in their life that they are most motivated is pre-surgically. They will do absolutely anything to make sure that they're going to get the best surgical outcome. So for us, this seemed like the most critical time to really be educating patients about healthy eating. So we took it upon ourselves to really um, get all of Jeff's patients pre-surgically learning more about healthy diets and healthy eating and um, even before going on their rapid weight loss journey for surgery to shrink their liver, we try and work with them for sort of two or three months to teach them about healthy eating and what life might look like after surgery. And more often than not, a lot of people found this so helpful that they were reconsidering whether they would need surgery. So, um, And then, of course, there's other people that they felt, oh, this doesn't work, it's too hard. And the idea of the bars and shakes to them was easy because they didn't have to think about food. They may have failed with diets in the past or other food-based plans. And unfortunately for that, us, they were the patients often that we found struggled post-surgically because they didn't take on board that nutrition education as much as others and they mm-hmm. didn't necessarily have those successes with food and feel comfortable around food, um, enjoy food and know that they were in control of food. So we really wanted to show people pre-surgically that you could also go on a rapid weight loss program through a food-based or real food-based diet. So we came up with a, a series of recipes and sort of little cookbooks that we put together for our patients to use should they not be willing to use the Basel Shakes diet or should they need something else. And that need really arose from, um, I guess, on Friday nights we would get 30 or 40 phone calls from 
patients that were on um, a bars and shakes diet that just simply were not tolerating it and they'd have all sorts of gastrointestinal symptoms or they'd be going to a wedding and they're really asking, what else can I eat besides these bars and shakes? And more or less we had to tell them, well, this is the program, this is what you need to do unless you opt for a completely different program. So Jeff ended up basically saying to our team of dietitians, guys, you need to come up with, you know, meals that you can give these people or, you know, giving them recipes isn't helpful if they're not, you know, they don't have the skills to cook or they don't have um, the ability, you know, time or they may not have a facility to be able to prepare their meals in. So we really then put the project out to tender and thought, surely someone will want to make these meals for us that we could, you know, sell to our patients in the clinics. And unfortunately, we couldn't find anyone who was really interested enough in, you know, weighing out individual ingredients and following our recipes, you know, absolutely correctly, not substituting ingredients, not putting in more grams of carbohydrates or using different brands of things than we'd specified. So that's when we really decided, okay, we might give this a go ourselves and, um, we hired some chefs and kitchen space and um, rented out this little shared kitchen facility for the first sort of three to six months and we outgrew that space and um, then decided to buy our own kitchen space. So for a dollar, we actually bought an old fish and chip shop business in Somerville mm. and it was from there that we really, really started to learn about food and how food production works and um, we had to hire, well, we had to obviously set up the kitchens. We had to buy everything that you need in a commercial kitchen and we had to hire people from dishwashers to kitchen hands to cooks to chefs and um, organise our own logistics. So it, it really became a huge um, project for us because at this stage both myself and Jeff weren't working full-time in the business mm-hmm. and it was really probably a year after that that um, the business started to gain momentum and we realised it did have legs and that it did need someone in there full-time managing it. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and the next part of the story is really what happened with Shark Tank. And, yes, um, I'm a big fan of Shark Tank, so we'd love to hear more about the behind the scenes and what it was like to face be in front of the sharks. Yeah, I guess it was a very scary thing as an option to look at for investment. Both Jeff and I had really, you know, we put all of the money that we had, our life savings, into this project and really we couldn't see without the business acumen, without the support, without the mentors, how we were going to turn this business around and ever get a dollar back. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, week by week, as we were making meals, it was costing us money for people to buy food instead of making money. So we knew at this point that we needed a really strong mentor and someone who understood business. And I've read all of Janine Ellis's books and I thought I would love to pitch to Janine. Uh, So that was really our reason for going on Shark Tank. And um, when we were accepted, it was – quite a frightening thing to consider that you're going to be on national television and the sharks could absolutely tear you and your business apart if they wanted to and perhaps even your reputation. If um, I'm sure the people out there that have watched the program 
if you don't know your numbers and you don't understand your business, then it can be quite humiliating on national television. So I then did my research. I watched every episode of Shark Tank ever made. I took notes of every question ever answered, uh, asked, sorry, and I came up with answers. So I knew everything about my business. So this process probably took me about three months, but I learnt more about business in general as well as my business than I had in my whole life. Mm, well and done. Yeah, and I think without that, our case on Shark Tank wouldn't have been as strong and we ended up being successful and we had um, both Janine Ellis and Steve Baxter um, approach us for investment and given that we'd gone on the program to go with Janine, we accepted Janine's offer. And um, it is exactly like what you see on television. You burst through those doors, there's five sharks sitting in front of you, the spotlight's on, and they can ask you anything and everything. Um, unfortunately, though, unlike the television version where it's only five minutes on air, we were out there for over two hours, or I was out there for over two hours, and it was mm. at that point when... Um, I thought it was all going really well, but I was starting to fatigue. No food, no toilet breaks, no oh, wow. mental breaks. And I just thought, oh, I need some moral support. So I went out and got Jeff and he didn't want to go on television. But <laughs> he said, you know, if you get really stuck, come on, I'll come and support you. And I was like, all right, let's go. And at this stage, the deal was nearly done. We had the interested investors. And, um, yeah, sure enough, when Jeff came out with me, they um, they were pretty brutal. They asked him some pretty hard questions and they did try and tear him down as well. Um, but in the end, it was a very successful um, you know, thing to do for us. It really it helped us get that message out and we never expected the response that we got. So that was um, quite phenomenal, really. Yeah, and I think your internet went into overload. How did you manage that? Yeah, so our website started website. to crash. Yeah, within the first four minutes um, and then every four minutes for a few days, I think it was, and then every hour thereafter for up to a week and then whenever it felt like it after then. So <laughs> we really just didn't have the full warning about how big this could be from being on national television and Janine had um, you know previously said look before it goes to air you know you might want to ramp things up it could you know go gangbusters but it may not so at the end of the day nobody knows what's going to happen nobody knows what the general public are really going to think about your idea but for us we did have 1500% growth overnight mm. um, we certainly nearly fell in a heap after the first six weeks of trying to get all of this food out, get new systems and procedures, growing our team from five people to 63 people in this four-week period. So it was, um, needless to say, very stressful. But, um, yeah, we got through it just and um, it really made us, you know, once it calmed down a little bit, re-look at our business and look at it for what it was and what it needed to be and, we had to really go back and start from scratch again, build all new systems and build systems that were built to scale because the systems we had used were all manual and you can't scale a manual mm. system mm. at that level. It just You get too many human errors and you can't blame people for the mistakes. They are only human, but mm. it doesn't matter how many people checked, there'd always be errors. And at the end of the day, 
every error is, you know, money that you're refunding or crediting mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and detrimental to the business long-term mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. I think during that period you also did face some criticism, just wondering how you handled that as well. Yeah, look, at the end of the day, I'm not a big social media person and I think it was a bit of a shock for me that people didn't just attack your business, they attacked you personally and for me, I found that really hurtful that as a clinician who um, had always, I've done a couple of double degrees, I've done my master's in clinical physiology, I did my diabetes educator course, I'd always wanted to know more, learn more and be the best clinician I could. And when these attacks came and they were personal attacks, not business attacks and attacking my integrity and my clinical expertise, it was very offensive and um, I guess I just, over time decided that I wouldn't be involved in social media anymore and um, tried to numb myself out from it. But it's certainly something that I would warn people against. Um, If you do something like that, look out. There's some haters out there and I can see how cyberbullying gets out of, you know, out of hand. And I would have hated to be a teenager and gone through that because I don't think I would have come back from it. Mm. Yeah, we've certainly gone through it here at DC as well, so we can empathise with you. Hmm. Um, so I think, yeah, social media has its pros and cons, but um, yes, you have to be aware of both going into those things. Yeah, that's right. And I, I guess the hard thing is we didn't have a big social media following prior to this. And at, once you do have your supporters, they get in there and stand up for you. But mm-hmm. when you don't have that big social media presence, you've got to defend yourself. And that's really hard when people are out to get you. So Yes. Yeah. And so congrats on getting Janine on your side and um, backing you. What's the biggest lesson you've learnt so far from her? Oh, one of my favourite ones, and she forever brings this up too, is it's okay to make mistakes. You just need to learn from them. So, you know, step outside the box. If you're not sure about something, ask. And if you're still not sure, keep asking. And if you make a mistake, that's okay, but learn from that mistake and don't make it again. So I really love that about Janine, that she does help, um, you know, let you experience everything yourself. She's there for support. Um, you can ask her any question, but ultimately you need to understand your business. You need to learn from your own mistakes and put things in place that prevent those things happening again. And for any budding dietitians out there who either want to start their own meal delivery service business or another successful business, any ideas or tips, words of wisdom for them? Oh, it's always to get the best people you can on your team. A business is about your team. If you have experts in every area or field of your business, you'll have a very successful business where if you try and do everything yourself and not hand over things that are really out of your expertise, you'll find you'll have weaknesses in your business. So for us, I guess it is really being supported by a team of people that not only love what they're doing, but really good at it too. So don't be scared to hire people that know more than you because that's what's going to make your business succeed. Totally agree. And to that end, we've got Kate here at DC. (laughs) Yes, um, it's lovely, isn't it? Finding yes, good people. <laughs> exactly. And just to end with, thanks so much for your time today, Kate. What are you most excited about for the future or what do you think dietitians can be excited about for the future? 
Oh, I'm really excited that I guess as dietitians now, we've all really opened our eyes to this world of, um, you know, supplements and synthetic foods. And we're all really looking at the more whole food approach and the approach of what happens when you eat good food, not just on your weight or your chronic health status, what happens to the microbiome? What is there to food that's more important than the basic vitamins and minerals that you'd find in a you know, a supplement? What is it in the living food that is so good for us? And I think we're all opening our eyes to looking at why um, plant-based food is so important, why living food is so important, and that, you know, what reading the label on a packet these days really doesn't mean a lot because at the end of the day, if that's a processed food, there's no living properties left in that anymore and it's really not as good as its, uh, you know, original plant-based um, whole food that would be available on the outskirts of the supermarket. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much for sharing your experience and uh, we really wish you much success for Be Fit Food. Well, thank you very much, guys. Thanks, Kate and Marie. And um, I look forward to catching up with you guys in the future. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Dietitian Connection podcast. If you haven't already, we would love for you to check out the other episodes that we have available. We speak to trailblazers, dietitians who are doing amazing work within their practice and their businesses and also those who have really changed and advanced our profession. There's a whole library to choose from. And if you did enjoy the show, it would be so great if you could leave a review for us on iTunes and also uh, to pass this podcast on to your colleagues and friends. Thanks again for listening. 